Hello and welcome to Casting Nets. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Dave Rudat. I am here from in Emmanuel Shirley, and I am joined on my right, on the, on the screen, uh, Pastor Will Harley. So he has come out of his bunker, come out of the cave, um, and uh, he has seen the, the the sunlight and has not destroyed him. Here he is, Pastor Will Harley. Yeah, and it's no snow outside. The wind is blowing and blew me in. There's leaves on the on the ground. So for those of you who are listening who have snow, you can keep it. Yeah, it was up <laughs> in the northern areas of Wisconsin. Yeah. I saw that and some ice and whatnot. We are also joined on my, uh, what would we say, electronic left, uh, by Pastor Dave Endor from Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Hi. We don't have snow either, but we do have a ton of leaves on the ground, which is a lot of fun for the dogs to play in. Well, there you go. So we have leaves, no snow. We're doing better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what this show is all about. Three guys not talking about theology, but comparing themselves to one another. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that's what the point was. It's a good was. time of year. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a point. I'm just, I like when leaves are on the ground. It's I, fun. I do like fall. I do like the cooler air. It's good football playing weather. That is the time, uh, my favorite time of the year, uh, running through the leaves when I was in high school football. I love that. Um, and I also like the idea and, of your, now you can like actually bundle up and things when you go to and sleep. And you have, you've been growing a very impressive beard. Thank you. Yep. It was a summer project that turned into a fall project. Might be a winter project. It is very impressive. You're doing a very fine job. And the bugs are dead. The, the best thing about fall. <laughs> the bugs died. Like that first hard frost and all the mosquitoes die. Like, yeah, that does that does bring back memories of pastors talking mostly about death. Yeah. That that's kind of what we yeah. do. I talk about yes. life. You know, somebody did die, yes. But. I, I don't think you talk about bugs' life. <laughs> the the uh, theme for my confirmation last night was Disney has ripped off every every story ever because we were talking about uh, um, how God provides. And so there was a Bible passage we read, I believe it's from Proverbs, talking about how God provides grass for the animals, for the cattle, but then also provides for the crows. Well, what happens to the cow after they die? Well, the crow comes in and scavenges, and then I said, it's the circle of life, and then the three girls started singing circle of life, and then I said, "You're just Disney just rips off. Doesn't have, has not come up with an original uh, show for, for years. There you go. So if that is... There is an original show. <laughs> so if a comment like that is, is something that just uh, um, is a, a, a controversial... If you're triggered by comments like that, uh, just prepare that this is a show where we are going to talk about things that uh, may or may not trigger you. But it's not always our intention to do so, even though we seem, we're having a good time enjoying one another's company. Uh, we're, we're trying to take today on a ser serious topic 
in a lighthearted way, if that's possible. So this is our big experiment. So we might push the boundaries a little bit, push the, push ourselves um, or me over a cliff. Well, actually, I can't get pushed over a cliff because I have these two electronic brothers on my right and my left. They will, they will both like smash me. They will both punch me from both sides, and they're no throwing up, no throwing off a cliff at all. Just you know, just smashing and eliminating me from the picture altogether. But anyway. We are not intending to uh, trigger you, but we are encouraging you to continue the conversation that we are beginning. Uh, email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. You can visit with Pastor Endorf at Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. You can visit with Pastor Will Harley at St. John and Maribel in person. They're there every Sunday. We are. Well, at least I am. I don't know about you. What about you, Pastor Endorf? you there every Sunday? Well, yeah. Yeah, no matter how much they protest, I keep showing up. So, so have a conversation with us. Uh, I mentioned the email. If you if this is something that you appreciate, enjoy, uh, we encourage you to like like it or uh, give us a good review. Don't give us a five-star review because my head will explode, but give us a four-star review just so that it helps the algorithms um, have find other algorithms, help other people find our content. Or share us. Share us. Let's go down with the show. I'll introduce you. You'll, I'll introduce you. Okay. All right, welcome back to the show. As we uh, had sort of said in our, our kind of the pre-show, as we were introducing this, we are going to be dealing with a, a, a fairly important topic. Uh, the topic for today that is kind of wide sweeping. So there was a, a time in history where this was probably more prominent, um, but it's something that hasn't necessarily left um, not only the Lutheran circles, but I think circles in every single um, religion um, or, or denominational religion that you have out there. Uh, and the topic that we have for today is is a topic of pietism. And um, I'm going to actually be turning it over to, to, to Pastor Dave Rudap because... He took a refresher course, um, two-day, three-day, three-day? Three-day, two-and-a-half. Two-and-a-half-day course on studying pietism and some of its effects, its history. Um, and so, you know, we thought, hey, let's talk about this a little bit. And so he will lead us down this merry road. Yeah, and I did my own research, so therefore, I am now an expert. There you go. Oh, that was the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one I was looking for. No, I, I again. This is this was a really a good class for me to take, just because I had it was I had some cobwebs in the back of my head from seminary days, and what what is exactly what is Pietism, what isn't Pietism, uh, how to spot it today, how to spot it throughout history. I think this is really the goal of this podcast is to help our listeners to spot it in themselves. And maybe in the in the, the individuals that they're around, not that we're going to weed people out and say, "Well, you're not a Christian because you are you have these tendencies," but to help us engage uh, with our neighbor, because this whole concept of Pietism stems from a, a subjectivism. Instead of focusing on what God has done for us, we are now as a and a, not just a subjectiv. 
I can't say it. Subjectivism? Yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> not just that. So I'll just point to you and you just say that. <laughs> you're like my little subjectism. Subjectivism. <laughs> yeah, you're that, you're that monkey for me. I just you know, point and boom, he says it. Um, but anyway, it, it, is, it, uh, it is because our, the human heart is always inclined to look inward instead of outward for reassurance of God's love and mercy and grace instead of looking at uh, what God has given to us there is a dissatisfaction with that, or you're looking around at your neighbor and saying, uh, how come they're not living the way that I'm living, or how come they're not living the way that God says in his word? It must be because uh, they aren't truly uh, converted. They aren't truly reborn um, as a Christian. And, and 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 I would just add to that, that um, what makes this conversation, <clears throat> at least when it was brought up, what makes it really important to me is... is um, the wells really comes out of a pietistic mindset um, and a lot of its forming was centered around that kind of uh, an idea. Um, and then also it, looking into the, into the kind of the Christendom today, I, I think you're seeing a resurgence between many Christians um, in all flavors of denomination saying, you know, that idea of how much am I doing um, am I living my Christian life, um, which is this return or that kind of bordering back, right, on on uh, pietism and saying how much do I have to put into it so I can call myself a Christian? Um, and, and so I think, I think this is a really important conversation for us to have. I think it's uh, important for us to take the time to walk through and have a couple of jokes about it because definitely, you know, when you talk about yourself, you need to laugh about it. Um, but, I, but I think that it is serious enough that we recognize some of the pitfalls. So. Yeah, and just for our dear listeners, pietism isn't a like a doctrinal system like uh, this is what they believe. It is more of an emphasis. So it is a lot harder to sniff out or to uh, understand, uh, to be able to categorize, generalize on it. Um, but it does have some characteristics. Uh, it it is a, has the characteristics of... of um, Subjectivism. Yeah, very good. There it is. Um, and it's, so it, it, as far as history goes, this is like the, the 1700s of, in Lutheranism in Germany. So you've got Martin Luther, all the, the big reformers have gone to glory and now the Lutheran church is sitting there and individuals are in the pews and this um, um, uh, this the individuals are looking at what's going on in their Lutheran churches and saying well how come the Lutheran Reformation didn't come to full fruition we know what the doctrine says but it doesn't seem like these people are living what the what the Bible says and uh, so, um, can I, I go ahead? It, it's it's um, <clears throat> probably in that time it'd be better understood as as what they would call empty orthodoxy. Um, so, kind of that time that that Pietism makes this rise is this time where um, doctrine is being really heavily studied, really heavily pushed. Um, but what they're what what the problem that some of the people are seeing or what they think they're perceiving is there's a push for an intellectual Christianity. There's a push for an intellectual uh, Lutheranism um, and less of a living religion. Um, what is it, how is it influencing the world and how is it influencing the people around me and, and the, the, the area and the community in which I live? Um, now, to be, I think... To, I just want to 
yeah, jump in there ahead. and say that one of the things that they miss is the fact that the desire to have good doctrine is a fruit of faith and is something that we should appreciate, but they don't. Right. And, and that's one of the problems with subjectivism is, you know, that when you downplay doctrine, you know, you're getting rid of one of the works of the Holy Spirit right away. And, and they miss that completely. And so they call it dead orthodoxy in part because they've already gotten rid of, you know, part of what the Holy Spirit's been doing and, and something they should have appreciated as the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, and, and I'd also say that that's one of the problems that you had is you had um, pastors who really enjoyed dealing with the intellectual aspect of religion and did it over and above caring for their flock. Um, they, they would rather go and study a book or write a book or go and have conversations about deep theological conversations uh, than go and visit their shut-ins or go and visit the people who, who were sick and suffering. And, and I think there was this tension that was being formed during this time that said, something, this, this isn't right. What we're hearing in the pew, what we're hearing being said as, as this is good and right to do, we're not seeing it translated from the pulpit um, into actual living. And, and I think you had then the react, I mean, the old saying that the congregation will reflect their pastor became true. If the pastor is not doing it, why should we do it? And, and so they came, they heard, they listened, they left, and they didn't, there was yeah. no translation into that. Uh, Philip Jacob Spainer is the, the, the main, like, main character of the pietism, the founder, if you will. He wrote a book called Pia Des. Desideria. I can't say anything today. Um, and so the book isn't necessarily important to understand pietism because it just started everybody on this uh, path. But it is a, a good book to try to understand what he was seeing because he would see uh, pastors who no longer were studying the scriptures but were studying the confessions. Right. And and when they're getting up in their pulpit, they're, they're no longer uh, trying to address the person in the pew. They're trying to look smart and intellectual and they're Polemical. I mean, they're against you know whatever the doctrinal issues of the day were. They would spout those things off in in the pulpit instead of taking God's word and applying it to the the listeners' lives. And so he um, does a, a. If we were in, if we were living in 1700s and we were listening to some of these Lutheran preachers, we would we might come away with the same uh, diagnosis. This is a problem. You're you're not doing that to Jesus. You're not applying God's word to these to the people in the pew. But the problem was in his solution. The problem of in his solution was to look inward, to do that subjectivism of looking at what's going on in your life, looking at your fruits of faith, or looking at other people's fruits of faith, and determining from that whether they are truly uh, converted or if they're truly a believer. So, so I guess maybe this is my question for you, since you took the the refresher course, <clears throat> was. Was his book, um, Dia or Pia Desideria, was it really fully embraced pietism at that point? Because, and granted, I never read the book, but my understanding of, of, of the book was it really was trying to do a return to let's get groups together to study God's word with a pastor. 
that that they're they're kind of the forcing the pastor to be in God's word, not just to be doctrinal. Let's let's focus on the priesthood of all believers. That the work of the ministry isn't just the pastor carrying things out, but you know it's the people going out and doing the work. Um, you know, let's look at at. Um, applying what God is saying. And and I don't think any of us would necessarily have, again, I, I don't think any of us would necessarily say, I think he was in a wrong place. Um, I, I, I would say, yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. Let's study God's word and, and let's not get off the rails. So have the pastor there so you don't go crazy. Let's, let's encourage the priesthood of all believers because, you know, one person can reach one person, but you know, many people can reach many people. Um, these are all good things. Um, I, but I do, I would say it approaches the pietism in, in one of his last points where he tries to to um, push sermons into edifying instead of into um, proclaiming. And, and that would be that would be where I would say he starts to drift towards the pietistic movement that comes from him. Well he, yeah, he, he isn't like a full pietist right. because the, the pietist after him, would really stress you got to have the conversion experience. You have to really uh, look inward to see that inner light inside of you so that now you can, you know that you really are a child of God, that you really are saved. That's going to come later. But he is really the, this is the yeast that's going to work through the whole batch of dough. Instead of looking at a doctrine as if this is a good thing, but then also seeking uh, with God's help through the word to apply that doctrine to your hearers. Now it's more of an emphasis on let's look at your living and have sermons that are addressed to your living as if by preaching that way you can change people's lives and And then have these Bible groups discuss, Discuss, go through the Bible, and instead of looking at what is what is God saying, but how should I live, or how should sure. people in our congregation live, or how should pastor be living, and your the focus is always on the living rather than on the doctrine. Well, that that pretty much takes the gospel and makes it into a law club, and says that well, this is what God made you, so why aren't you, and and why aren't you doing it, and why aren't you being better. Um, <clears throat> so I, yeah, I, I totally would agree that the last half of, of his points, you know, looking and turning the sermons into an edifying piece instead of a proclaiming piece definitely is, is starting to approach that pietistic movement towards who am I in, in, in reflecting back on the scriptures. Yeah. And your dear listener, as you're looking at this, you're saying this sounds a lot like legalism and you could say that legalism is part of pietism but not all pietism is part of lutheranism uh, part of legalism uh, because some legalism is that you have to do all of these things pietism will at least give lip service to the sacraments and say you have to be baptized you have to receive the lord's supper but uh it the, the emphasis is not on god for you but rather you for god yeah, like this, you know, it's interesting you brought up the sacraments because I think we, we need to talk a little bit about them in in pietism because um, my understanding of pietism, and, and gentlemen, please correct me if my understanding is wrong, my understanding of pietism didn't necessarily strip the sacraments of their blessings, but downplayed their blessings by internalizing the movement inside oneself. Am I correct in that? Yeah, because w- that was the fascinating thing because I thought was that, Every Sunday communion was a thing, like in the 1700s. Like, that's what's in our confession. Like, every Sunday we're, we're having the Lord's Supper. Like, that was a thing. And then I asked that question of Professor Brenner, who was teaching the class, and he said, it, it, they were, the, the reformers were trying, first of all, to get God's people to accept both kinds. Because 
throughout the Reformation, before the Reformation, God, the, God's people were, were denied the sacrament. It was something that the priest did. That It was something that they watched. They would go from church to church and watch sure. the priest elevate the host as if like that's the show that that's that they got spiritual strength from that so they were still working on god's people you can come up to receive this thing and so the pietists weren't uh like you were saying they weren't necessarily downplaying they weren't necessarily saying the lord's supper is a bad thing but they were very much focusing on well are you are you worthy enough to receive the lord's supper and then later on that would really uh, that would be the yeast that would just explode and for God's people to say, well, I'm not worthy enough. I mean, I, my life isn't lived. I have to live a, be at a certain standard before I can receive the Lord's Supper. I have to make a good confession on my confirmation day and really prove to everyone I truly am a believer before I receive the Lord's Supper. Which would then also probably apply backwards to to baptism and say, you know, I don't, my baptism truly didn't mean anything because I could have fallen away unless I make this confession. It, would it would it be a fair assessment then to say, and I know we want to move on, so I don't want to harbor it uh, the point, but would it be a fair assessment to say that, that out of that pietistic mind mind came the idea of a receptionist view, where where when I receive the sacrament, it is it is God's blessing for me because I believe. Yeah, and I. I th- I don't. I don't necessarily see that. I, I'm again. I'm not the expert. I make a joke that I'm the expert because I took a class for two and a half days and I read a bunch of books and articles on it. So therefore, I'm an expert. I am not an expert, but I, that's not what I. I think they were still Lutheran. I mean, at least the Lutheran Pietists were. Sure. I mean, you're going to have the other doctrines. You're going to have rationalism come in and and destroy the take take away from the sacraments, um, by by saying it's it's up to you. You have to sure. necessarily. You have to have the right faith before you receive anything. So you'll, if pietism does explode and does go further than Lutheranism, so it's not just something contained in Lutheranism, it's going in through all of the Protestant religions because it is, it's applying, first of all, to your heart, a heart that wants to, uh, your sinful heart, that wants to say, I, I want to participate. I want, sure. I want a part of this. I, it's something about something that I do in order, for me, in order for me to be satisfied that God truly loves me. So you wouldn't say there's necessarily a direct connection or correlation, but yeah. it, it's still that be, it's breaking of the dam. Sure, Dave. The other issue you're you're going to have is because of the emphasis on works and the emotional experience. You know the the, the effectiveness of the sacraments is going to be called into question. You know, look at these sinners going to communion. Look at these sinners who were baptized as babies. You know, I I, I didn't feel something from this sermon. Does God's word really work? And and so, you know, that's going to be part of the downplaying of word and sacrament is... You know why? Why go to communion if I didn't feel anything? If I if I don't feel the need for it, you know, and and that's part of what what ruins it, and and ultimately that's a lack of faith. That you know I don't feel my sins, and I don't believe God when He says I'm a sinner, and and so I don't go to communion. And that's one of the things that Luther really writes against in you know the large catechism. 
in a, in a very striking way when he talks about why we should go to the Lord's Supper, you know, and he just has th- this whole big long section of, don't you believe God when he says you're a, a, a sinner? If for no other reason, go because God tells you you are a sinner, even if you don't feel it. And and that's what the the, the pietists would reject. Well, wouldn't pietism... Um pretty much heavily deal with this idea of um, less of God's faithfulness, but more of my own faithfulness, um, that that <clears throat> that strength inside of myself that I am doing the best that I can, which I still see today. I mean, how many people, don't worry, I, I worship God, I talk to God on my own, I, you know, whatever, this, we've all heard the stories, that idea of it's in me, I'm fine um, and less of no, I I need to be fed and continue to to have God's promises applied to me, spoken over me. Um, it, the term of extra nos, right, outside of myself, as opposed to inside of myself, my relationship, which I think I have. It there definitely yeah. is a downplaying of original sin of the idea that there it's possible that I there is a diff that I will stop actually sinning. You know, because you're if you downplay original sin, then it's possible for you to to through the the law, through your right living, then you can live a life that looks like you're not sinning at all, and uh, then, uh, and for us, we see the Lord's Supper not just for our actual sins, but just to the fact that we are sinners, we are descendants of Adam, like we we talked last night about in uh, our online Bible class in Romans, where through the one man. Everyone through Adam, everyone. This is Romans five. Everyone becomes uh, is is fallen, but now through the one man Christ, everyone is restored. Yeah. Did you have something else? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the best illustration I heard about Pietism, you know, compared it to a plant. You know, if, if we see a plant that's not producing fruits, like a, a tomato plant that's not growing tomatoes. You know, we, we don't yell at it to start growing tomatoes. You know, we we water it, we we fertilize it, you know. And, and that's what, but that's not what the pietists did. You know, and instead of watering the plant with word and sacrament, they yelled at it to, to grow tomatoes. And... And this is their problem, you know. So they end up not with they end up with hypocrites, with, without God pleasing works because they're not motivated by faith. They're not sure. coming from love for God. They're coming from other things. Yeah, I have to be in church because this is what I told I had to do. I have to participate in this because it was told what I have. I have to do that thing. Yeah, uh, you want to? I, I know on the sheet we kind yeah, of got we off can, the rails, yeah, but that's fine because I think let's go on the how to become a Pietist in five easy steps. Yeah, how about let's, that? Let's do that. And uh, I think it's kind of a this lighthearted way. This is the instruction way. manual. <laughs> this is the instruction manual because <laughs> we are taking a lighthearted approach at a very heavy topic. Uh, this uh, uh, having a list of things so that you would become a better Christian or a better father, a better Christian father, or a better person in the pew or a better pastor is a very that's a thing that they would do. In in his yeah. book, Pia Desiria, uh, uh, Philip Jacob Spainer had his list of six things, which are very tame. Like P- pietism, the movement would take this, his followers would take this to the nth degree. It was the yeast that just uh, took off after that. But just for lighthearted sake and also f- for instruction's sake, for our dear listeners, let's go through uh, five 
five ways how to become a pietist in five and this is steps. fully endorsed by Pastor Dave Rudine. Pastor Dave Rudine. <laughs> <laughs> so, District President Joel Zink, that's the guy you need to call. So these are, I came up with these five, and the, I said, guys, uh, help me out here. Give me some advice and change them up. And they all said, nope, Dave, these are great. And so either they are, they are great or they're getting ready to attack me. I, the, 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 circ, the vultures are circling. So number one. Uh, of how to become a pietist in five easy steps is one, reinvent what is the lifeblood of the church. That is, what is in your heart pumps harder than the gospel and word and sacrament. So this idea of the uh, turning inward, looking at your right living as, as opposed to right teaching. Orthopraxis versus orthodoxy. Uh, so Those are really big words. Those are, and I, and I said them. <laughs> so I ortho- said them without well. stumbling over the words. Well. Orthodoxy is right hey! teaching. <laughs> <laughs> orthodoxy is right teaching, and uh, orthopraxis would be right living. Yeah. Uh, so it, it definitely after... Uh, Spainer, uh, his followers would really stress the conversion experience. So if you start reading these guys, they're going to sound a lot like uh, Bill, Billy Graham Crusade. They're going to sound a lot Reformed. like, uh, yeah, like um, American American Christianity, where it's all about you have to have this experience that you look back on. And this is the evidence that God loves you, rather than the objective word of God or the objective sacrament of baptism. Uh, you're looking at you're looking inward for the evidence that God loves you and that God saved you instead of looking at the external evidence. So isn't it interesting? And um, just maybe as a side comment that you know <clears throat> when coming out of the Reformation, we were accused by the Reformed, uh, the Protestants, that we were still too Catholic. <laughs> and then during during the rise of Pietism and the effects of Pietism. Um, the Catholics would look at us and say, wow, you're way too Protestant. <laughs> it's, you know, um, Lutheranism really finds its niche, and, 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 and I would think scripturally finds its niche in that narrow middle that says, you know, there's, there's a difference between the law of, um, of the Catholic Church of, of do these things because we tell you to and the law of the Reformed, which is you have to prove who you are by doing these things. And there's that, that middle of proclamation, you are these things, and so you get to bear the fruit. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's a horseshoe. Roman Catholicism is on one end and uh, pietism and all of American evangelicalism and Arminianism is on the other side. They're both looking at yourself and what you do right. and in the middle is what has God done for you that's right. yeah go ahead Dave the nice thing about this first step is I get to show people how smart I am <laughs> the wise advice I can give them how flowery I can be and how poetic I can be it is awesome <laughs> everybody gets to see what a good writer I am in my sermons so Come to Brooklyn Lutheran Church, Church. And, <laughs> and I will tell you how to live your life. life. And at the end, you will wonder if I even talked about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really horrible plug. But you'll feel great. You'll feel fantastic. <laughs> about his writing. <laughs> about my writing. And, and you will know everything about how to have a better marriage and and job and yeah yeah so what's in your heart pumps harder than the gospel and word and sacrament that's reinvent what is the lifeblood of the church and always yourself in your um 
your, your Christian living. Step number two of how to become a pietist in the five easy steps. Number two is ain't no standard like your standard. Uh, shifting the marks of the church from the gospel rightly proclaimed and the sacraments rightly administered to Christian living. So you're trying to make the invisible church, which we confess in the Apostles' Creed, the, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, trying to make that invisible thing a visible thing. Um, and you get to pick the standard. You get to find out what is the fruit that will demonstrate to to the world that you really are a Christian. And uh, what, one of the quotes I like from Professor Brenner was, when we preach the gospel, when we preach law and gospel to our people, it will bear fruit, but it may not be oranges. And you're looking for oranges. Now, don't look for oranges, look for fruits of faith. And sometimes it's different than what you're expecting. And But not for pietism, you get your own standard. Ain't no standard like your standard. Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> that's a, a slippery slope because as we've noticed throughout our life, um, numerous times our standards change. And the, the more we want to do, um, and we, we know that maybe it's not the healthiest or the best, the more we adjust our standards so that we can condone those actions. Um, you know, it, 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 there was a time in our history, and, and I'm just use this as an example, maybe not necessarily a pietism, but just of the standard moving there was a time when we were like, you know, if you if you were if you were a boy and, and and you were dating a girl and you moved into with each other, that was a you don't do that. You get married, that was wrong. And then all of a sudden it was, well, you know, um, at least they're not homosexual. Um, and then it's well, at least they're not transgender. And you know, the the goalpost kept kind of pushing itself back. And, and that's that idea of those standards, right? Um, we want things to happen. And so we move the standard and, and pietism kind of had that idea too. Uh, and, and I think that that may happen at your guys's church, but here at Brooklyn Lutheran church, <laughs> our standard has always been about taking care of the poor. And so we give to the needy, we give food, we give clothing, we give, we give, we give, and our light shines, it shines, it shines. And let me tell you, we shine and everybody knows Brooklyn Lutheran Church shines. And so you come to Brooklyn Lutheran Church and you will see how generous I am. <laughs> you won't see Jesus, but you'll see how generous <laughs> I am. This is uh, that's your a running trend. trend. Yeah. <laughs> I did, and, and in this section of Ain't No Standard Like Your Standard is where uh, the home Bible study part, I think, fits, where sometimes it, we overgeneralize pietism and, and would say well having small group bible study this is pietism we just immediately go there where pietism was reacting to uh, not god's word needs to be in god's people's lives and they reacting to what they were seeing in their churches of pastors who are talking about the confessions or talking about uh, intellectual things and not taking god's word and applying it directly to their lives so they're like let's take god's word and apply it directly to our lives and the problem was is that they would use God's word not to look at doctrine, but to use God's word and say, well, is pastor really living this way? Or are the other people living in that way? Uh, and is, you know, is Brooklyn Lutheran Church uh, living that way? Well, they're giving out to the poor, but 
Right. Uh, what else? I mean, what you know? Th- I'm looking for oranges. I mean, that's an apple. I want an orange. And so that was the whole Bible study was less about actually studying God's word, even though they were studying God's word, but more about um, finding who the real Christians are, including who if their pastor was a real Christian. Well, and it was the throwing of the stones, right? Because they would read it and they would, <clears throat> they're coming back to their standards, they would say, well, I'm doing this, and but they're not doing this. So the 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 idea of original sin, the idea of, of their own responsibility was kind of thrown out as they were judging other people and saying, well, they're not doing it. And that's one of the things like, you know, when you're talking about giving, you know, uh, You'll hear people say, like, show me your your checking account and I'll tell you where God fits in your life. You know, and that's nonsense because, you know, the the believer who who takes care of their family is is giving to God is the believer who who takes care of the poor is giving to God, who who pays their taxes is giving to God. And, And so you can't just say Okay, they give a lot of money to church. They're giving to God. You know, all of those things are good and God-pleasing. And so when we talk about, you know, don't just look for oranges, you know, that that's what we mean. Is, you know, and so I had one lady who was taking care of her her husband who had Parkinson's and she was like, I'd love to do more at church, but I spend all my time taking care of my husband who has Parkinson's. And it's like God loves you. God is rejoicing over you as a, a faithful wife. You know, don't worry about not being able to do more at church. You know, don't make yourself feel guilty because you don't have any more time when everything you do is good and God pleasing. You know, and that's what the pietists were missing out on. Well, everything, and I would I would put the qualifier, everything done in Christ, right? You know, it's the recognition. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's the recognition yeah. that, that, you know, we as sinners can't be everywhere and do everything. Um, and so in, in, in a God-pleasing way, we say, what is, what is the best I can do in the situation that I'm in? And then you apply yourself to that. And, and the pietists didn't look at the in Christ. They just said, well, here's a situation, do something. Um, and but that's the general tendency of our sinful nature. The, den- the the tendency of our sinful nature is to to strip Christ out of it and say, "I have done. I was presented with something, and I did something." And and we live in a world that is that way all the time. That the world in which we live is, they did something, and and as mm-hmm. if that was good. Like okay, well, well then now they're absolved of anything else. But that's not. That, that was never the point. <laughs> the, the, the point wasn't that you did something. The point is from what heart did it flow? And, and you can't make a claim on someone's actions seeing necessarily that heart. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Are we ready for number three? Number yes. three. Uh, the way to, how to become a pietist in this easy step. Number three, stop testing the spirits. So uh, one of the, uh, and if we're going to be in all honesty, after, after the Reformation, you're like second generation Reformation, there wasn't a whole lot of missionary activity. And so they, many, and according to Professor Brenner, he was saying many of these pastors and, and leaders of the church thought their writing was their mission work. 
And and so pietism is looking at that and saying, no, there's so many lost people that need to hear about Jesus. And but there's this this thing called doctrine, and we 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 got this group, and we've got that group, we've got this you know Swingley, we've got Calvin, we've got all. The, well, let's just throw all that. That's not what matters. What matters is that we're telling Jesus to other people. So there was a huge, um, a lot of missionary activity was uh, spurred on by this pietistic movement. But at the expense of saying, "Well, don't, don't, don't look at doctrine. Have a practical approach to Christian life and the life of the church. You, um, you test your doctrine by results. If if you're getting a lot of people into your church, then you've got right doctrine, right? And and that would play. Yeah. I think that would play into a lot of what we see uh, still today with the idea of, but they believe in Jesus, or it's not even a belief in Jesus anymore. You hear, well, they believe in God. Um, and then that, okay, well, we're fine. We all believe in God. Um, so why can't we all just move along, right? That coexist idea. Um, and the, and, and that's, that's still a, a huge problem for many Christians because one, I don't know if they necessarily know their doctrine. Like what is, they don't understand the gift of what God gives in true and pure teaching. Um, as we look at the scriptures and we hear his gifts for us, the other side of it is though, they look at it and they're like, we need to be, con- we need to be unified there. We have to find a union. And, and, and the only way they think that we can be unified is if we give up something, right? Yeah. We, we got to narrow it down well, to the least. What, that's what we have here at Brooklyn Lutheran church. We have unity. We have unity in love. We have love. And and it's that one word, love. I mean, we tried loving specific things, but that didn't work because we had controversy then. And so now it's just love. And, and, and it's not we love because apparently we is a controversial word now. So now it's just love, the, just the word love. Because that's all we could agree on was love. And that had, one word. Love. And yet, you, you had such a great, you know, emotional experience by just <laughs> so, reducing everything to that word love. Everyone felt great, and and everyone can go around lovely. and I mean, like lots of people gathered because it was just about love. I mean, well, let's not define it. Let's not talk about what it's love towards or where it comes from. Let's just talk about love. So <laughs> it needs to be said at this point that. Uh, <laughs> we are definitely making light <laughs> of 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 this uh so that we are not necessarily these are not i mean these are true points <laughs> but <laughs> yes uh you, you Pastor, know you know you've got off the rails when will harley has to bring you back yet when i am the word of of reason in this discussion we have really gone somewhere very dark. <laughs> so yeah. Pastor Endorf is 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 what he's doing is exemplifying uh, a, a pietistic approach in a very appropriate way, which is happening to be funny because we're when we think about it in those ways, we're thinking that's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? But that's exactly what pietism does, and and so I think it it just bears being said that that when he responds that way, he's not truly believe. I mean, yeah. deep down he is, but <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's a horrible person. <laughs> but he's I mean, not, let's just face it. 
He doesn't truly believe those things. He's exemplifying what a pietist would kind of approach. Yeah, and it, it is so prevalent in yeah. our, our world today where it's what matters is results, what matters are bodies rather than doctrine. Um, and when you're focusing off on away from God's word and instead focusing on yourself and focusing on your inner experience or the inner, inner experience of the community, then what God's word says isn't quite as important anymore. And so you downplay it. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. All right, are we move. All right, number five, the last. No, we're on four. Four you skipped four. I no, I'm not skipping four. Four is you are your own Illuminati, which is, means that you're that the inner word, what you experience inside, is more important than the outer word. Which we, we've kind of circled around this concept more than once, but just the idea of who really is king when it comes to. How do you know whether you are saved? Well, how do you know whether um, somebody else is saved? Is your your own your own inner light, your own understanding of reality and of what it means to be a follower of God? So you are your own Illuminati. I heard they did that at Pastor Endor's church, where they uh, all gather around and no one says anything, yeah. <clears throat> listening to their inner word. <laughs> Right. Which Absolutely. Is, yes. Which, Until the spirit moves us and then we share whatever is on our hearts. Yes. So that was the interesting thing about if, if you would take the course. So I'm not giving all the information, everything we did, because that's like two and a half days worth of stuff. And that's just it's a challenge. I can't do. I can't even pronunciate um, subjectivism. I can't even pronunciate that. So how can I possibly condense two and a half days in, in a podcast that is, hasn't even hit an hour yet? Um, but <clears throat> that was fascinating to me to see how the influence of pietism in American Lutheranism and the Quaker movement is, is really, it's coming from this, this, uh, this inner light looking at yourself and how you feel and how you understand certain, or, and looking for the spirit's work inside of you rather than Pentecostalism. Yeah, Pentecostalism, that's in there too. Um, but it's just, instead of looking wh- where the Holy Spirit says he's going to be found, you, you look for him within yourself. Yeah, yeah he's got to be somewhere right, else. I think... But the thing that really shows you can listen to me is how effective I have been in my ministry and and the fact that I really have been that effective and you've seen the results in the, the numbers and the people in the seats, you can tell that that inner light is shining brightly in me here at Brooklyn Lutheran. And so I just want you to listen to me. You know, it's amazing how good he is yeah, at that. I, I mean, he's shining. <laughs> I'm actually scaring myself. I'm gonna need to... You're scaring the rest of us, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number five. Number five, take your toys and go home. So abandon the fellowship. So if, if you are in a church that uh, is not, as you have determined through your own standard and your own Illuminati, your own indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you're saying, these aren't the real Christians, go ahead, take your toys and go home, leave, because uh, you can find, you can found the, the true church. Uh, and so there was a lot of, um, a lot of uh, breaking apart of churches at this time because they were looking at the, the uh, outward living of its people Bless you. Or it's pastor and saying, um, you know, you're not real, real Christian. So we'll, we'll form 
form our own church. Well, yeah, and it goes a little bit beyond, it, like you said, it comes back down to those standards, right? Where when <clears throat> when you start thinking that your standards are the standards that everyone has to to follow, when you start thinking that that the way that, that Scripture speaks to you is the only right way because you've made a decision on it, and you look at everybody else, and you, you no longer look at what the, the Christendom has has viewed and, and the orthodoxy of true of, of keeping the scriptures pure and you don't look at that and say this is true but what my idea is true then then there is no unity right and and people want unity people desire unity and so they will go and they will gather around themselves what their itching ears want to hear they they'll gather around themselves people who are saying the same things and 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 spouting you know the echo chamber back to them which we see today on Facebook, we see everywhere else, and apparently, we're going to see it where. <laughs> well, and the best thing about this is that you people feel guilt and, and repent over over things that you have done wrong, whereas I am entirely unbothered by that. So I have this club to wield over you and and to force you into things, and I am not bothered by the Eighth Commandment and gossip. So you are, so I can talk about the things that you have done wrong, and you're not going to do the same thing about me. So I have these two extra weapons to wield in this whole public relations battle. So you'd better listen to me, or I'm going to take my bat and ball and go found my own Church of the Divine David. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now we should be serious. That was awesome. I'm gonna Dave. spend like that the afternoon awesome. reading Gerhardt and, and just yeah. You need to you need to sort of empty your mind of all of that filth that you've just been spouting. <laughs> yeah, the church is is made up of, and we've talked about this in uh, in in Matthew when Jesus talks about the end of the world when the the angels are gathering up the believers and it's the kingdom of God, the good fish and the bad fish, and then sorting them out at the end. So even Jesus says, at the end of all things, there are still going to be hypocrites in the church of God, in this visible church, because the invisible church cannot be made visible. Right. And so don't don't be bothered by that. Don't think that oh, somehow their doctrine is wrong because there are hypocrites in there. Um, it has been said on more than one occasion, if someone says, I don't want to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there, there's always room for one more. I think, I think, and then, <clears throat> go on. Yeah. Um, the, the Decameron is, is this old, old collection of a uh, hundred stories. And it, one of the tales is about uh, a guy who was working on converting his Jewish neighbor. And, he worked very hard to tell him about Jesus and to, to bring him to church. And the, the Jewish neighbor says, if I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to go to Rome and I want to see what the church is like. And, and he tries to talk him out of it because he knows what Rome is like. And, and he says, no, don't, don't. That's the last place you want to go. But he goes anyway. And, and he comes back, and and the neighbor asks him, "So, do you want to become a Christian now?" And the the 
Jewish neighbor says, absolutely. I, God must be behind the Christian church. And he's just stunned, like, what's going on? And and the, the Jewish neighbor says, well, I went to Rome and I saw the the greed, I saw the decadence, I saw the 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 sins and I, I realized if god weren't behind the church with the sinners who are in charge of it it would have fallen apart long ago and so i'm going to become a christian and, and that's what paul means when he says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from god and not from us and that's what the the pietists never realized and and that's what we realize and that's what we understand is that you know god uses sinners and one of the things it does is show the power is from god and not from us and and i think in that is a beautiful connection because i think um the reality of that we have in in the situation is that the church is always judged by its external appearance um and Luther so beautifully says, uh, and he says it about each individual person, but you can apply it to the church. The church is filled with beggars, and they're going to be dressed like it, and they're going to act like it, and they're they're not going to look very good. Um, and probably they'll do some things that they aren't very good as they're they're begging for for what they hope to receive. Um, but Luther also rightly says that that what we receive is the bread of life, right? Um, we receive the bread. Um, we're one beggar asking another beggar where to find that bread, and the bread is outside of us. It is in it is in Christ. It is in the Word. It's in the sacrament uh, that He gives us to preserve the church. <clears throat> and I think in in is there a doctrinal is a doctrinal aspect to that? There is. There is a doctrinal aspect to the the proclamation of the means of grace and the Word and sacrament. But is it beyond that doctrinal? aspect of understanding it well the sacraments work because god said so whether a denomination wants them to or not and and that's something i think we fail to realize where god's word is where his sacraments are he works because he promised it's outside of you um <clears throat> and i'm not saying that this is a magic tool i'm not i'm not trying to say okay let's let's wave our magic you know wave our magic wand but but we part and parcel to to where the pietism kind of went off the rails was they they did a lot of wonderful things but they forgot promise and and they could have you could have said the promise is ours now how in the view of this promise can we live great way to go awesome way to go but they they fail to do that and they say let's regard disregard the promise let's look into ourselves and, and they change everything around. It is so easy to look at the outward. Like you, you want some evidence. You want some indicators. Um, so easy to fall. So when we, make, when we talk about these five things and we look at it and we, we're sad, I'm, that, that's what I'm sensing from both of you. It's like, yeah, we, we joke about it, but really it's a sadness because you're go going away from the promise of God. Let's turn our thoughts then to five ways to prevent pietism. And again, this list, you guys could have, uh, commented on before we started the show, but but it was a good list. So you, uh, so we'll just go through. So number one, uh, be firmly grounded in Scripture. So this is where Pietism identified a problem, 
but had a wrong solution. And so the problem is, is when we're staying and not being grounded in God's word, the doctrines that we teach, if our people don't understand where it comes from, or if we don't understand where they come from, if we're not grounded in where they come from, it's easy for us to dismiss them. Yeah. Uh, what is that theological term that the scriptures are the norm and normans, the norm from the norm, the norm that, that, that gives us the norm and the, the confessions, the doctrines are the norma normata. They flow from it. Um, and so you, you look at, and you, if you don't know your scriptures, the confessions are great. I subscribe to them. You subscribe to them. Dave, I'm pretty sure you subscribe to them. Uh, maybe. <laughs> the Divine Church of Dave. Um, oh, we or or the Church of Dave. <laughs> does not. So, the hey. Church of the Divine Dave. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> we, we, we all three of us subscribe to the confessions, but those confessions have their basis and their grounding in the scriptures. And, and if you lose sight of that, the confessions mean nothing because they're just words of men. Yeah. But but they come from and they flow from all of Scripture. And so so knowing the Scriptures and saying, okay, we say this because we're trying to help you sum it all up. But let's go back and look where it came from. I, I was going to say, this is like is this like a very obvious point, be grounded in the Scriptures. And it seems like everybody's trying to be grounded from the Scriptures. The pietists try to be grounded in the Scriptures. Well, pietists, not the further sure. further iterations, but the first, you know, Spainer definitely wanted to, but his followers strayed from that. Um, but And it seems like everybody wants to be in the scriptures, but it, it really does all start making sure you're grounded in the scriptures. If, if what you are believing and saying, does that actually come from God's word? Maybe this is the time to also say then, <clears throat> follow the encouragement of Luther and have your reason be held um in sway by the scriptures, not over them. That they that your reason, your understanding is. I understand the words. Use your reason in understanding the sentences. Use your reason in understanding this is what God's trying to convey. But then when God speaks, don't say, "Well, that doesn't make sense, so it must be wrong." <laughs> right? Um, that's that's <clears throat> that's being above the scriptures, not grounded in them. Number two, practice doctrinal and moral discipline because that is what you are in Christ, not because it proves anything to you or to anyone else. So it, we would not learn the lessons of history if we would say to ourselves that there's no way that we have to, we've got it all right. We've got all the doctrine right. We've got the, our behavior right. The scriptures repeatedly, more than once, talk about self-control. And that in, includes pastors, that includes people in the pew, that includes church bodies itself. Practice both doctrinal and moral discipline because, and this is probably the key point, that's what you are in Christ, not because it proves anything to yourself or to anyone else. This is who we are. God has uh, redeemed us, made us his children. He has re uh, called us in our vocations and said, here it is, and now live in this. And so practice that doctrinal discipline. Practice that moral discipline. Watch yourself and your doctrine closely, Paul says. Persevere in them. Um, well, because that also then becomes <clears throat> the the signpost for everyone else, right? You know, doctrinal, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doctrinal. Well, they follow you. And, I mean, if the, the further away you go from the scriptures and your doctrine, the further they will be when they follow you too. Yeah. I just love Paul's way of saying it. Live up to what you have already attained. Yeah. Is. 
Number three, aim at the head and heart in preaching and teaching and properly distinguish between the law and gospel as you do so. So don't just make it an academic exercise and don't make it just a something that I'm going to manipulate some feelings. You want both of those things. Um, and then also properly distinguish between law and gospel as you do so. I think we had a long discussion uh, in the class about the third use of the law. And it was like, yeah, there's a third use of the law, but there's also a first use. And don't tell the law what it's going to do. Uh, the the law is a thing that sniffs out sin. In, in, that's its inherent thing. So um, there was a lot of discussion on that uh, as we preach law and gospel to our hearers, especially since because pietism was, let's use 